Well, we are in the Gospel of Mark. We're near the very end of the book. We're, uh, Jesus has uh, been in the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at this last week, praying fervently and saying, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, then uh, let me not have to become sin and experience your wrath and the terrible sense of separation and alienation that sin brings about. And, but he concluded that by saying, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. And, uh, and then at the end of that prayer, Jesus went and said to his disciples who had been sleeping, and just three different times he had to go and wake them up, but he said, it's enough. Because, look, he said, uh, the, my betrayer is approaching. And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 50 today. And this is the uh, betrayal of Jesus by his disciple Judas. Now, Judas had been with Jesus for three years. He has uh, watched him heal the sick. He's watched him feed the hungry. He has watched him raise the dead. And he himself was commissioned. Judas was commissioned to go and preach the good news of the kingdom. And he did so. And he also was empowered to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Judas healed by the grace of God and by the power of God people who were sick. And he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And then for some reason, he determined that he would hand over Jesus to his enemies. And his name throughout history has become associated with the most heinous crime, the most heinous act of betraying his Lord. And here we have the record of it in, Luke, in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43. And immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him, there was a crowd with swords and clubs. They were coming from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Now you know it was nighttime and they didn't have street lights and things like that. And uh, even though they were coming with torches and so forth and there were going to be 12 men there in a group and Judas had said, uh, they had perhaps asked him, well, how are we going to know which one is Jesus? And he said, well, I will, uh, I will go up and greet him with a kiss. It was a cheek kiss. You still see them in certain parts of the world today. That's the way they greet one another. And uh, so Judas said, the one that I kiss will be Jesus. And, uh, and when he came... He went up to him at once, and he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, of course, and he kissed him. And then they laid hands on Jesus and seized him, that is, 
tied him up. But one of those who stood by drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. All of his disciples ran away at that time. Now, that's Mark's account of it. I want you to, uh, even though it's going to sound like I'm reading the same passage almost, I want you to hear Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 47. He adds one or two other little thoughts here that Mark leaves out. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. That's almost identical to what Mark said. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, you know, I think we might have said monster, traitor, jerk, I don't know. But Jesus used a very, very loving term, friend. Do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, this was Simon Peter, we learn in other places, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do, not, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And Jesus said, I'm not depending on you with your little puny sword. Don't you know that I could ask my father right now, And he would send 12 legions of angels. And if one angel in the Old Testament killed 185,000 people in one night, think about what 12 legions of angels could do. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus said, I have not come to save myself. I've come to fulfill Scripture and to save others. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Well, I don't want to leave Luke out, so let's go ahead and read how Luke recounts this story. And again, it'll sound like much of the same. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. 
But Jesus said to him, Judas, will you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Are you going to do this terrible, dastardly deed and do it with a sign of affection? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed it. Amazing. Healing the ear. We're told in John's gospel that the man's name was Malchus. And church historians tell us that Malchus became a follower of Jesus and a, a disciple of Jesus, a believer in Jesus. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance. Uh, let's go ahead with the next verse there. No, that's, that's good. That's, that's good. So that's, uh, that's the account that's given in all three of the synoptic gospels. And uh, I would, if I were to title this message, I would call it the sad state of the man who kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. Isn't that sad, tragic? To think of the privileges of Judas. He had fellowship with Jesus. There's no doubt that Jesus and Judas had had many conversations. Judas had listened to all the teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the, the discourses of Jesus as he talked about uh, uh, the, the coming kingdom. And what a, what a high privilege this man had to have daily fellowship with Jesus and to, to sleep in the same camp where he would sleep and to break bread with him day after day after day and then to have that final meal with him. And, uh, and then to determine in his heart, I will be the one who will turn Jesus over to his enemies to be crucified. Now, there is some question as to whether Judas actually thought Jesus would be crucified. There are some who believe that he thought that maybe if Jesus were pushed into a corner like this, that he would draw on his power and maybe call those 12 legions of angels and destroy the Roman Empire and establish Israel as the kingdom. Because we're told that uh, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned 
by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hanged himself. Some people have said, you know, well, seems like Judas repented. Says he changed his mind. Well, he did change his mind, realizing what he had done was a wrong. He said, I've sinned. And yet, he didn't truly repent and receive forgiveness. Peter also did a terrible thing in denying Christ, but he repented, but he didn't go out and hang himself. But it says of Judas that he went out and he hanged himself. He reached the point of total despair. And uh, some people have, in fact, I, I got an email this week, week before last saying there seems to be two conflicting accounts about how Judas died. We're told in Matthew that he went out and hanged himself. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, we read this. Now this man, speaking of Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. What a horrible picture that is. And this man asked me, he said, how, how do you reconcile those two pictures? I said, well, it's not difficult at all to me. No doubt Judas went to a place where he found a, a tree with a limb hanging out over a, a drop-off, and he hanged himself, and he just hung there, maybe for days. None of the disciples would dare go and take his body. None of the enemies of Christ were interested in taking his body. They said, what is that to us? You take care of your own business. And he hung there until his body began to just swell and bloat. And finally, the, either the rope broke or his neck snapped off. And he fell, this body bloating in the sun for days. And he falls and he hits the ground. And like an overripe melon, he just explodes and bursts open. It's a horrible sight, isn't it, Cookie? You look like, ugh. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it, too. So there's no doubt that he did hang himself, but... Then he fell and burst open. There's no contradiction here. It's just one gives a little additional information. So what can we say about Judas? Let me just say that uh, Herbert Lockyer, who's one of my favorite writers, says this about Judas, that his terrible crime was predicted. The Bible says, Jesus said, in order that Scripture might be fulfilled. In order that Scripture might be fulfilled. What Scripture is he referring to? Listen to Psalm 109, verses 5 through 8. Psalm 109, verses 5 through 8. And I'll depend on Brad to put that up there. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty 
Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few, and may another take his office. He's speaking here prophetically about Judas himself. And in fact, that very passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, is quoted when Peter said, "There Now Judas is dead, and the Scripture says, Let the one that betrayed the Messiah, let another take his place. And they cast lots, and they determine someone to take the place of Judas. So this, I'm saying that Judas' sin, his crime, his horrible act was predicted by the Scripture. And even his cruel bargain was foretold. Listen to Zechariah. This is Z-E-C-H, Zechariah chapter 11. Verses 12 and 13. Zechariah 11, 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Now this, this passage was written 500 years before the event in the New Testament ever took place. So even the price, the exact amount, was prophesied and foretold in the Old Testament. And then Jesus said of Judas, speaking of Judas, that he was actually the devil incarnate. He said, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. And he actually used the word diabolos, the word that's used for the devil, for Satan. And just as Jesus became God in the flesh, Judas had become the devil in the flesh. And then Judas is called a son of perdition, a son of perdition. It's interesting, that same phrase in, first, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the same phrase is used to describe the Antichrist, the one coming at the end who will try to deceive the whole world. And uh, it's actually led some people to believe that the Antichrist will actually be Judas kind of reincarnated or brought back in the flesh. I'm not sure that's true, but that's some people. For there, these are the only two people in the Bible that are called the son of perdition. is Judas and the Antichrist. And then Judas was a thief. The Bible tells us that he kept the bag. That is, he was the treasurer of the disciples. And... Uh, he also was very, very selfish, very greedy when Mary came and anointed the feet of Jesus with this expensive ointment. We're told that Judas was indignant. And he said, this, this was a waste. This, this ointment could have been sold and, and the money could have been given to the poor. And then we're told just parenthetically that it wasn't that he really cared about the poor. But it was because he was a thief. 
and he would sometimes take money out of the bag for his own use. And then he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Even to this very day, when we think of the Judas kiss, we think of the most heinous act imaginable. For somebody to betray another person with an act of friendship and kindness, but mean it for evil. And uh, the idea that here Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the door into heaven. I am the door and I am the way. And to think that Judas actually was so close that he could kiss the door of heaven and then go to hell. He was the recipient of divine patience. Jesus was so patient with Judas. And why he persisted in following Jesus, I don't even know. You would think that he would have just left. The only thing we're told is that the reason that he was chosen was because Jesus knew what was in his heart and that it was in order to fulfill Scripture that he was chosen. And yet Jesus loved Judas. He was patient with Judas. He bore with him day after day. Surely Jesus knew that Judas was stealing money from the treasury, but he didn't confront him. And he knew all along that Judas would be the one to betray him. And yet he continually kept the door open, appealing to him, showing him his power, showing him his patience, showing him his love, giving him opportunity after opportunity to repent. And even when Judas came to betray him with a kiss, Jesus did not rebuke him. He called him friend. Friend, have you come to betray me? And then the Bible says that Judas went out to his own place. Acts 1.25, he went out to his own place. Jesus did not excommunicate Judas. Judas excommunicated himself. He went out to his own place. He, he ratified the, the choice. Now, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. And yet he appealed to him over and over and over again. And it was not the choice of Jesus. It was the choice of Judas. People ask me so many times, well, if, if God knows everything, does that mean we don't have a will? If God is sovereign, does that mean we don't have a will? Of course we have a will. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we should call all men everywhere to repentance because we don't know for sure who might and who might not come to Christ. Two things that Herbert Lockyer says we learn from this. One is that the journey into sin gains momentum. When we set our course in the wrong direction, 
it seems to get worse and worse and worse. At first, Judas just followed Jesus, maybe reluctantly, I don't know, but then he complains and he steals, but each sin leads him further and further until he finally comes to a place of betrayal. And that's true for us as well. If we turn in a wrong direction, we usually uh, keep moving in that wrong direction unless there's a work of God in our heart. And then I think the scariest thing to me is that it is possible to be associated with Jesus, to know his power, to know his love, to know his deity, and to not follow him and love him. And one of the great concerns that most concerned Christians have in America today is how many, many people sitting in our churches right today have a head full of knowledge about Jesus, but they have no passionate love for Jesus. We were talking in our Sunday school class this morning that Jesus and love for him, faith in him, is what determines salvation. It is not knowledge about him. It is not even singing songs about him or hearing sermons about him. It is loving him. And Jesus asked Peter after the resurrection the question that I think he asks to us today. Do you love me? Do you love me? Not do you believe I have done what I've said I've done? Peter could have certainly said yes to that. Not do you believe that I am the Son of God? Do you believe that I've been raised from the dead? No doubt about that. That was not the question. The question was, do you love me? And I would ask you that question today. Jesus would ask you that question today. Do you love me? Do you love me? And love demonstrates itself by action. If a man says, I love my wife, but he mistreats her, and he neglects her, and he hurts her repeatedly over and over again, his words really don't mean anything. His confession of love and when we say we love Jesus but our actions demonstrate more the behavior of Judas then it calls into question our love so I just close the message with this question do you love the Lord do you believe that his love for you has captured your heart the Bible says we love him because he first loved us We don't love him just because we've heard about him and and because of who he is. We love him because his love for us has captured our heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for lessons that we can learn from the sad, even depressing story 
of this betraying disciple who had so many opportunities to love Jesus and to follow him. The one who was called and invited to be a part of that inner circle. And yet in his selfishness, perhaps his greed or perhaps his jealousy, certainly in his sinful heart, he chose rather to betray the Lord than to follow him. And I just pray for those of us who are here today that we'll just ask ourselves the question or let you ask us the question, do you love me? Do you love me? And help us from the bottom of our heart to be able to answer as Peter did, yes, Lord. Even though I have failed, and even though I have sinned, you know that I do love you. And I pray that we might express that love to you by loving others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.